0: All right, before I get to my next guest, Michael Breed, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors. First, our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world. And that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can not provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them there today to learn about their great products and their great prices. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power play plus four, and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore.
1: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf
0: pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now joining me here on Next on the Tee is one of the top instructors in the game and the host of one of the best golf shows anywhere, a new breed of golf, and that's Michael Breed. Let me give you some background on Michael. He's from Greenwich, Connecticut, played his college golf at Randolph-Macon College in Ashland, Virginia from 1981 to 1985. He was a four-year letterman and was the number one player for three years and team captain his senior year. He won six times during his college career. Michael also played on the baseball team, and like I said at the top of the show, he once pitched back-to-back games, one right-handed and one left-handed. He also played on the varsity tennis team and had a minute over on the football team. Michael was inducted into their Athletics Hall of Fame in 2004, went on to play on the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour. Since that time, Michael has soared up the rankings as a golf instructor. In 2003, he was named one of the top 100 instructors in America by Golf Magazine, and he's climbed up that list every year. In 2012, Golf Digest named him one of the top 50 instructors in America, and that year he was chosen as the PGA's National Teacher of the Year. Among his other awards, he was named the Metropolitan Teacher of the Year in 2000 and 2009. He was the Metropolitan Horton Smith Award winner in 2006 and 2007, for being a model for golf education. We've been watching and listening to Michael help us improve our swing since he joined the Golf Channel in 1999. In 2002, he put the pilot together for A New Breed of Golf. Took a minute, but in 2008, that pilot turned into the Golf Fix and made its way onto the air on Monday nights. I listened to he and his co-host Greg Ducharme every morning on their show A New Breed of Golf on XM's channel 92, and I'm thrilled Michael is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Michael, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Chris, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here and, and uh, looking forward to our time together.
0: So, Michael, I, I got to start by hearing the story. In college, you pitch back-to-back games, one right-handed, one left-handed. Talk about that.
1: No, 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 no. Now, now, listen, this is what happens. So, by the way, great job on your research. You got a lot. Of, I, there's a little stuff in there I'd forgotten about. No, when I was younger, I was a baseball player. That's when I uh, lefty and righty. I'm completely ambidextrous, but when I was in college, I actually played on, in the fall of my freshman year, I played uh, four varsity baseball games starting at shortstop, played three varsity golf matches and three varsity tennis matches. Now, it's Division Three, but that is something that I'm a little proud of. There's a lot of people that have played a lot of sports at high levels, but I don't know if anybody has played three varsity sports at the collegiate level in one in one fall semester. It was it was tremendous.
0: No doubt. So I understand though there's a little family controversy going back to your freshman year in baseball. Your brother Giff was actually umpiring first base for one of your games I read, and you hit a little slow <laughs> roller and there's a bang bang play at first base. What happened?
1: Well, See now, this is this is what happened. So he went to the University of Richmond, and randolph Megan was playing Richmond, which we beat them. By the way, I don't know whether he shared that one with you or not. We 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 beat them, and uh, on this particular play, I threw the ball. He was the the runner was out, but somehow, gift gave it the safe call, and I I literally I I don't know that I've I've ever recovered from that. That was probably uh, maybe thirty years ago. so So, michael was the dream to, to to get into
0: golf or was the dream to play shortstop for the new york mets
1: you know so i i got a chance in 1994 to try out uh with the mets when they had the strike year and look the dream the dream was to be a professional baseball player and a professional athlete that's what i wanted to do Basketball and football were quickly discarded as not having an opportunity to, uh, to do that for a whole bunch of reasons. But baseball and, and golf seemed to be things that, that, um, I, I kind of gravitated to. And once, once, uh, the baseball stuff kind of went the way it went, I, I immediately, um, got into really, really immersed myself in the game and got pretty good pretty quickly. Uh, through a, through a lot of work. And then, you know, good fortune has it. Um, it turned out to be a, an amazing sort of path that I've been on for, uh, these however many years. I don't even know how many years it is now, but probably 30 some odd years. It's been just amazing. So,
0: Michael, talk about your coach, Ted Keller. He was your coach at Randolph Macon College. Talk about the impact and the influence he's had on you, not only as a player, but as a person.
1: You know, Chris, I appreciate you bringing that up. Not just his, not just Ted, but also his wife, Kathy. Um they were really instrumental in in a lot of different things. Two incredibly giving compassionate people who um they they continued to uh ask me to to better myself is the easiest way to say it. And, um, look, without, without Ted, I I'm I'm sure I wouldn't be where I am. And there were a lot of times, uh, he had time for me and had, had, um, direction for me. And look, Randolph-Macon as a whole, not just the Kellers, but Randolph-Macon as a whole, Hal Nunley and a, a whole host of, of individuals at that school were, incredibly, uh, instrumental in giving me the confidence and the ability to pursue the things that I have been able to pursue. And I am so grateful for, for that, that school. I can't even tell you, but I'm particularly grateful to Ted Keller, who's no longer with us and Kathy Keller, who is with us. And, and, uh, they are, they are two, they were and are two very special people.
0: Michael, I want to switch gears a little bit and, and your positive attitude and demeanor, whether it was on the golf fix or on your, on your current show, New Breed of Golf, that's what hooked me to you, right? When I, when I listen to you and I watch you and, and feel the, the positive energy that you bring to whichever broadcast you're doing, that's what sort of grabbed me and pulled me in. Talk about where that comes from.
1: You know, Chris, I, I, I know this for a fact. And and while you and I have not spent a tremendous amount of time talking with one another, I certainly, uh, through Greg Ducharme and others, Tom Patrick, um, people like that, I I know well that you are an individual who um, looks in the mirror and can't believe the good fortune that you have to be able to do the things that you're doing in this game. And I have had that great fortune Um, in my life, but I will tell you that, um, having a positive attitude was, was something that did not come easy. Um, and it was something that, that I worked on. And it was something that I now am so grateful for because, like anything in this world, particularly during these times, you can look at anything from two different sides and have great support for either side that you. That you take for me, what what I decided, and particularly after my father passed away of Alzheimer's back in two thousand and one, I I sort of in a time of reflection um, was extremely grateful for having him as a father. There are there are a number of relationships that you choose in your life, and there are a few relationships that you don't. One of them is. Who your children are, how many you have, and, and frankly, um, what those relationships are like, you, you kind of help to mold, but at the same time, you know, you don't choose who your kids are and you don't choose who your parents are. And I was really lucky. I happen to have two great parents. Um, again, one who's no longer with us and one who is, but when my father passed away, I, uh, what I kind of sort of decided, was that if i had a choice of who my father was going to be knowing that my father was going to die at the age of 21 from alzheimers and when you die of alzheimers you die before you die right my father you know although alive was not my father for a, an extended period of time because he didn't have any wits about him but what i what i decided was that i i was really blessed and that if I had a choice to, then I, and I could choose my father all over again, I would have knowing what I know that he would leave me at, you know, at the, the ripe old age of 68 years old. So, um, I, what I decided too was that I, I don't know how many days I have on this planet, but the number of days that I have, I'm going to do my best to enjoy every single one. And a lot of times that, that has to do with how you're going to approach a certain circumstance or a certain situation. And for me, I know that when I, when I approach my life with, Hey, this is, this is okay. I can figure this out. This is going to be good. No matter how bad it is, it's going to be good that a, a, a good situation is likely to occur. And as a result of, of my attitude on that, I'm, I'm going to, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm going to win. I'm going to have a great day. I'm going to have a great moment. I'm going to have a successful, whatever it may be. It turns out golf is that way too. That, that if, if I allow one bad shot to affect the next shot, well, then that's my fault. And I do know I'm, I'm, I'm human. I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, one of those perfect, Uh, individuals, there was only one of those. And so I look at this from a standpoint of, Hey, you're going to have moments that aren't going to go the way you want, but those you can't control. What you can control is your attitude. And if I have control over my attitude, then I'm going to make sure that it's a good one because as we like to say on, on our show, uh, your attitude is like the weather. The only difference is you control your attitude. And so for me, it, it, it has been. Instrumental in my relationships with my kids. It has been absolutely a necessity with my, my wife and my, my life. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that no matter what happens in my life, I will always make sure that I find the positive in whatever occurs because I know that that will, in fact, create a positive outcome.
0: Kudos to you, Michael, for that. And, and speaking of great days and, and having a great attitude. 1994, Greater Hartford Open. You qualify to get to play yep. with what's essentially a home game going through Monday qualifying at Lyman Orchards in Middlefield. You shoot 69 to get into the field. What was it like being inside the rope playing in front of like I say, friends, family, a home game?
1: Yeah, you know uh, first of all, Chris, I, I will tell you this. That was that last round, I shot 71 on Friday, obviously missed the cut, but I shot 71 on Friday. That was the last round of golf that my dad ever saw me play. He was, he was diagnosed in October of 94 with Alzheimer's, and he never saw me play another uh, tournament round again. And um, so I was extremely grateful for that. And I think that there are certain things in life that you look at, particularly now when you look back at them and you go, wow, that was sort of preordained. Um, so for me to be able to, to play at Hartford, the, the other cool stuff to that was there were four people that qualified on that given day, myself being one of them, but two of the other guys, one of them was a guy named Jim Gentile, who I am still extremely close to. And another guy was a guy named Brad Frey who went to the university of Richmond, but Brad and I worked together at Birchwood country club. And so w- when you kind of, when you, you look at that and you kind of see these things, you go, man, this was just meant to be. And I had a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of near misses in these four spotters and, and U S opens and things like that. Um, but it was, it was almost perfect is, is the easiest way to say it. What was it like being inside the ropes? It was like anything else, you know, you're, you're, you're part of the show and it was a, a, sort of, uh, the first statement in my, uh, instructional career where the things that I was working on actually worked and and they did what, what I believed that they could do. And all of a sudden it led me to, to that tournament. And I, so I, it, it gave me this belief of, Hey, you know what, the things that you're doing instructionally do work and look, here's the evidence. And it gave me a lot of confidence in my instruction and it, and it really, um, allowed me to uh, have the confidence to, you know, know that I could help the elite players play at the highest level and that the stuff that I believed to be true actually were true. So there were a lot of, of, you know, in looking back at it, there were a lot of things that that um, I, I took away from that that deal with me today,
0: frankly. Michael, you've had a number of, of dream jobs so far in the course of your career, at least from my perspective, one of those being an assistant pro at Augusta National. Talk about how you landed that yeah. job.
1: You know, so I, I told you about Birchwood Country Club, which is this uh, nine-hole club in Westport, Connecticut. And um, the, way I, the way I got the job, I was working with a guy named Larry Tedesco, who um, Larry played golf at Furman. Uh, and he, in fact, he and Brad Frey and I worked together there anyway. So, um, he, he went to Furman and, um, he had asked me on my, as I was sort of heading down to Florida to go and, and, you know, try to play golf and work on my game. He said, why don't you stop by Furman on the way and we'll play some golf. And I went, okay. So I stopped by Furman and I probably stayed at Furman for a couple of days. And met a guy named Steven Spencer, who was Larry's roommate. Steven Spencer um, was is the son of David Spencer, who was the head golf professional at Augusta National. Anyway, so I hung out with those guys for a couple of days. And Steven and I hit it off. And he said, you know, you ought to meet my dad when you go to the PGA show. So he set up a, a dinner. And um, I brought a resume. and had a wonderful time meeting he and, and the other pro was Bob Kletke, their wives, and some other people that, that uh, worked or had worked at, um, at Augusta National. Anyway, the dinner was great. They asked me if I would go and, and work the uh, Masters Tournament, which every year they hire a number of, of professionals uh, to come and help out during during tournament. And during that time, I was down there for about three weeks. Uh, this is in 1989. Um, he uh, he asked me to go out and play golf with one of the members there, and I went out and played and played great, shot 68. And after the the round was over, that member went into the golf shop and told Dave what a great job Dave had. Done. And and this particular member did not know that. I was only a part-time sort of assistant. He knew that I was working at Augusta National and that I was a golf professional. So he just made the assumption that I was working there full-time anyway. So he goes into the pro shop and he tells David Spencer, what a great job David, David had done in uh, hiring me. And um, the next thing you know uh, about, that, you know, the tournament goes great, blah, blah, blah. And about a month and a half later, I get a, a a letter from David that says, give me a call. It was just a simple one. Call me, fence, and a number. And I called him and he said, how'd you like to work at Augusta National as a full-time assistant starting in wow. uh, in October? And I went, well, let me think about it. I'm in. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> how long are you going to think about that one for, right? You're go, yeah, let me, let me see if I'll bring that up with the committee. so yeah so i went down there and it was it was just you know it was great and you know again a life-changing uh opportunity as i'm sure you're well aware
0: no doubt michael just a couple more before i let you go and and i read that uh you you had an opportunity there to to play around with raymond floyd what a thrill that had to be
1: you know um i uh i'm 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 always so impressed when I get a chance to meet people that are um, sort of spotlight people. Raymond Floyd is a spotlight person. And um, in fact, when we played, it was, it was a January of uh, the year that he lost to Faldo in a playoff. So this is 1990. He loses to Faldo when he hits that eight iron on the 11th hole into the water and and Nick goes on and wins his second in a row. And I played with him that January and we had a great time and we made a little, you know, he had a little bet and he said, uh, let's play a, let's play a $5 Nassau. And I said, okay, how many strokes am I going to get? And he said, he said, you're not getting any strokes. And I said, with all due respect, Mr. Floyd, you're a major champion. You've won more majors than I've played in. And I'm an assistant golf professional at Augusta National. Don't think for a second that I'm going to play you even up. I might as well just give you 15 <laughs> bucks right now and let's go have fun. So he goes, Okay, I'll give you two shots on the front side and we'll negotiate on the back. And so I said, Okay. So we go out and I'm, you know, I played pretty good and I've, I've got a, a putt on the ninth hole um, for Birdie to get to three under par. I've got a one shot lead on him and I'm getting a shot on the ninth hole. And so I'm one up and he makes a putt from sort of behind the hole. And I'm, I'm putting sort of from the 4:30 spot and the 10th green is backed by the 12 o'clock spot. And he's putting from the 12 o'clock spot and he, and he knocks his ball into the hole. He picks it up. And instead of returning back to the, like going towards the 10th tee, he goes around me, literally goes to six and then around to the left, and he goes, enjoy your putt, pro. And so I know I'm, 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 I'm dealing with a guy who has – he's a multiple major champion, and and this is as important to him as anything. While I make my putt, he says to me, you only get one shot on the backside. I shoot three under on the front. I get one shot on the backside. Needless to say, Mr. Floyd goes out, and I, I shoot 68 that day. And Raymond Floyd goes out and shoots 64, birdieing 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, doesn't birdie 16 and birdie 17 and 18. And I mean, it was a, it was a, it it might not have been that many, but it seemed like that. He birdied, I think he (laughs) birdied five of seven holes coming in and beat me. And what, but what was the coolest part, Chris, was about, Four days after we played, I got a, a note from him with a picture that he took that I still have, and it said, "Michael, really enjoyed playing golf with you. Um, thought you'd like this picture." And I will also tell you too, um, I, I have had the the great fortune of running into Raymond Floyd on a number of occasions since then, and he has always known exactly where I was in my career before I was working for golf channel, before I was doing what I was doing with Sirius XM or before I'm doing what I'm doing with CBS. He was aware that I left Augusta National and took a, a teaching job at Deepdale and then he knew that I had a had gotten a head pro job at Birchwood and he knew I got a head pro job at at Sunningdale. I mean, he followed my career and it, it just speaks to what a, a what a tremendous man Raymond Floyd is.
0: One more Michael before I let you go and now we're looking at a Masters in November. None of us have seen the Masters or Augusta National in November. That time of year, it's obviously going to be different. Uh and on top of that, no patrons, so it's going to be very different looking at it and hearing. What we are used to the roars, we're not going to hear that anymore. You may be the only one that any of us know that uh, has probably been out on the on the uh, course at that time of year. What what should we be looking for? How different is it going to be?
1: Well, I I will tell you this: November is the uh, least amount of rainfall in Augusta
0: that they have.
1: So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a golf course that is um, it's going to be firm. There's no question about it, and it'll play very very similar. To how it plays in April, um, there are a, a few a few things that are different. One will be obviously the days are going to be quite a bit shorter, and um, that means that they'll you know the tea times I believe will be a little bit earlier. And now you got to remember about Augusta; it's on the East Coast time, but it is a, it is west a bit, um, so. So my expectation is, is that the morning rounds will be a little bit cold. The average temperature uh, during that time relative to April is probably four or five degrees colder. Um, so the lows will be a little bit lower and the highs won't quite as, quite be as high. It will still be and can be incredibly nice in November. And I think the other thing is, is that, you know, you're not going to see the azaleas in bloom and all that. But what I will tell you is, and I did hear you talk a little bit about this with PP. um, What I will tell you is, is that in a in a very sort of um, strange way, you you will always hear the roars, and I, the roars of Nicholas in '86, and the roars of Larry Mize and and Nick Faldo and Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Those roars still exist. We've seen the one thing about Augusta National that makes it different than um, Wingfoot or Harding Park or any of the places where major championships take place is everybody knows what what hole is what. Everybody knows what the 10th hole looks like and the 11th hole looks like because we've seen it for 5, 10, 15, 30, 40 years. We've watched. The Masters every year for 40 years, and we know the golf course whether we've been on the property or we haven't. We we know what it what it looks like and what it what it's all about. And so, what I will tell you is is that those roars still exist. And I think that that yes, we will miss patrons, but no, I I think we'll all still hear the roars because we will be jumping on our feet in our living room. And CBS does such a marvelous job of embracing the history of Augusta national. And so we'll, we'll see Jack Nicklaus make that putt on 17 with Vern Lundquist saying, yes, sir. And we'll see the, the shot that Jack Nicklaus hit with a five iron on the, on the 16th hole and Jim Nance saying the bears out of hibernate. We, we, Cause 'Cause we've lived those moments. And so, you know, for me, I I know there won't be patrons there, but I still think we'll hear the roars because the roars are gonna be in our room. They're gonna be in our living rooms, they're gonna be in our kitchens, they're gonna be all across I mean I get I get chill bumps just thinking about it because we will have masters watch parties. They're just gonna happen. And you'll be with your family and they'll be shh 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 Tigers got this putt, or Bryson's got this putt, and and as I say this to you, I know you feel the same because that's what happened. And then he'll make the putt, and we'll have our own roar. And so, what I would say is, I think they're going to be there. They might not come out of the television, but they're going to be there. I promise.
0: Michael, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can uh, listen to your show. And then also stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media.
1: So I appreciate you allowing me that, Chris, um, just go to michaelbreed.com and you can see all my information. You can, uh, you'll be able to book lessons through there as well as, uh, sign up for our newsletter and and get all the information that, that, um, you would need to, to, uh, be a part of what we've got going on, um, in all our different, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Michael Breed, and we release um, instructional content on YouTube. If you go to Michael Breed, just, just search Michael Breed and you'll find it. We're releasing instructional content uh, all week long, every single week, to Titleist and Golf Pride and FootJoy and Morgan Franklin and all my partners, Omega, everybody. Um, and then on Monday mornings at 11 Eastern, you can catch me on – uh course record with michael breed greg Ducharme, as you well know is on that show and then every morning um monday to friday on sirius xm a new breed of golf from 8 a.m to 10 a.m uh all week long so uh you know i'm i'm doing that and then i'll be also doing some play-by-play coverage at wingfoot um which i'm excited for wingfoot is a is right around the corner from where i live and and um so I'll be, I'll be proud to be a part of the, the Sirius XM broadcast for the, for the United States Open. So a lot of little different things that we've got going on and, and uh, certainly keeps me busy. And I, and I am uh, very fortunate to say I'm, I'm a part of all these different things. So thank you for allowing me to, uh, to let people
0: know about that, Chris. Absolutely, Michael. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope we get the opportunity to have you back on again. Sometime soon,
1: you know, Chris. I, I would love to be a part of that, and and congratulations to all your success. I I follow you on on Twitter, and and I'm well aware of all the different things that you've got going on. Your your reputation is exactly um, where you would want it, and that is you've got the the highest respect from from those of us in the in the business, and and uh, so you should be very proud. And and getting guests like Tom Patry and Charlie Reimer, et cetera, you know, you you don't get those guests without having um, the respect of, of those individuals. So you've got a lot to be proud of, and I'm proud to be a part of it. And anytime you want me back, just send me a text. I'd love to do it.
0: I appreciate all of that very much, Michael. Take care, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to doing it again soon.
1: As well, Chris. Thank you so much. All the best. Take care.
0: Thanks. See you, Michael. That's a great Michael Breed, folks uh just as 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 warm and genuine a guy as as you're going to meet it really doesn't get much better than that um like i said uh, during the course of the conversation his positivity and enthusiasm are what hooked me many many years ago and kind of pulled me in and has had me listening and watching to michael ever since and uh greg ducharme has, has become a great friend and he's been on the show a few times as well so hopefully we get the privilege of catching up again uh, with michael real soon